Great, for those of you who don't know me, my name's uh, Ben. I'm one of the leaders here at Grace Church. And at the moment, we're just going through, uh, as Amy said, we're going through seven weeks looking at our values as a church. And we're doing that by going through, uh, looking at sections of the letter um, called 2 Corinthians. This is a letter that Paul, uh, one of the early church leaders, wrote to a church in Corinth. And, and we're just going to spend a bit of time looking through this and going through thinking about what kind of what we want to be about as a church. Uh, and this week, what we're saying is that one of our values as a church is that we are committed to local churches. So we um, we want there to be local churches. We believe that local churches are, are central to what God is intending to do in the world and to what God has been doing ever since Jesus first came to earth. And um, I'm going to look at that a, a little bit this week. Uh, before we do that, let me let me pray for us. Father God, I uh, thank you that as we read these words that are thousands of years old, you, the living God, who is the same God uh, now as you were then, I thank you that you continue to speak through them. Lord God, I pray for each one of us in this room today. I pray that we would hear you speaking to us this afternoon. I pray that we would um, understand uh, more about who you are, more about who we are, and that we would experience the creative power of your word transforming us this afternoon. Amen. This, uh, this last week, I went uh, to Hartlepool Table Tennis Club. That's one of the things I did this week. Now, for those of you uh, who, who know me a little bit, well, you'll know that I, I like table tennis. Uh, one of the things that I did uh, in my house when we bought it was we knocked through two of the rooms at the top, specifically so I could fit a table tennis table in it. Um, and as I was doing this, the builders were like, this seems like a lot of effort for a table tennis table. Like, are, you, like, are you a professional or something? I was like, really, no. Um, but anyway, so, so I, I like table tennis and I enjoy playing and I consider myself to be quite good at table tennis. So I, I thought, but limited. And so I thought, right, I'm going to go down to um, Hartlepool Table Tennis Society and hopefully I'll be able to play against some different people and they'll be able to tell, kind of help me improve, improve my table tennis game. So I went down and I, I walked into the room uh, and there were six people. There were three tables out, six people playing table tennis. Uh, and I just, you know, because I, I was late, because I am, um, I, I, I was late, and so I was kind of watching these six people play, uh, kind of waiting, as soon as someone uh, spot freed up, I'd, I'd have a few games. And as I was watching these six people play, it quickly became apparent to me that they were all a lot better than me. <laughs> like, I was watching them play and thinking, you, like, I'm not sure what I look like when I'm playing, but I'm fairly sure I don't look like that. And, and so as I was watching them play, I was like, okay, these, these guys are, are obviously a lot better than me. So I, I was chatting to the guy who runs it about it, and then, and then eventually someone came up and like, someone was like, do you want a game? And I was there thinking, well, I'm not sure I do, actually. Um, but I thought, well, I've come all the way down. So, so I, I started playing uh, a game against this guy. And so he served like the first couple at me, and I didn't get them back. <laughs> and I was like, I think he, at that point, thought, okay, I'm going to have to go a bit easy on, on him now. So, so I, played, I played a few games, lost every single one of them. Um, and then uh, it was like, there's someone else going to go. So I went back off and watched a few more people play. And, and chatted to the guy who, who was leading. And then basically the, the, the evening went on and I played a number of games of table tennis. And during the entirety of the evening, I won one game of table tennis. And I'm pretty sure that the game I won, the guy was going easy on me. Um, but but I, managed, I managed to win one, which I, I, I'll take. And so at the end, I was talking to the guy who ran it and I was like, like what, does, what does it look like to get better? Like, how do I get better at table tennis? And he said, it's not, it's not really that complicated. You just put the hours in. It was like, you just put the hours in and you do the drills. You just do forehand to forehand to forehand to forehand. And you just do that for an hour. And then you do, 
you do an hour of chops and you do an hour of slices. And I was like, who knew they were different things? Um, but apparently they are. And so like, you know, it was just like, you just, that, that's, it's, it's just that simple. You just put the time in, you do, you do what you need to do to get better. Now, now I love, I love the idea of that because I, lo- I love the idea of getting better at it. I, I love the idea of improving at some things. Um, I, and I, I, I'm kind of, kind of sold on that to like a, a decent degree. And I also think table tennis is one of those games which if you play a bit, you get, you get better quite a bit, quite quickly. But it did lead me to a question, which is, am I willing to commit that amount of time to getting better? If, like, if the key is, in order to get better, you have to put the time in. You've just got to, you've just got to put those hours in of just hitting shots. Like, is that something I want to commit to? Like, how, how committed to the idea of getting better at table, uh, table tennis am I? Am I up for putting those hours in? Uh, and, and that leads me to kind of what, one of the central things that we need to think about as we think about this value of committed to local church is, is local church something that we're willing to commit to? Like, are we actually willing to put the hours in, put the time in? Because you see, our value is not quite into local churches. Like, that's not our value. Our value is not generally positive about local churches under specific circumstances. Like, that's not our value. Our value is committed to local churches. And I don't know how you feel about the idea of being committed to something. Like, like commitment is, is a scary thing. It's one of those things we don't really like doing because we feel it sort of limits us. It kind of hems us in. It's easy to think like commitment's just a bad thing, isn't it? Because it just limits my freedom. For as long as I'm not committed to something, I can kind of opt in and opt out at any time. It's, I'm like, I'm easy going. But as soon as I commit, well, well, then I feel obliged to do things. And who wants that? And then if I don't do it, I'll let people down. And I don't want to be the person who lets people down. So I'd rather just not commit. It's really easy to just think, I don't really want to commit to things. I want to keep my options open. But, but I want to suggest that commitment is, is a good thing. And it's a good thing because there's so many things in the world that you just will not be able to do without commitment, without actually committing to them. There's so many things in the world that you'll just completely rule out ever being able to achieve and do in your life if you're not able to commit to them. There's so many things that can only be done if you're willing to commit to them. Let me give you some examples. Learning. There's a degree of learning you can only do if you're willing to put the time in and commit to, I'm really going to learn that. Actually, any sort of improvement, so whether it's table tennis or, or anything else that you're into, there's just a, there's a level of commitment that comes to, actually, I'm going to keep improving at that thing. There's loads of activities that require a level of commitment for you to be able to do. But there's much more than that. Marriage. Like mar- marriage is impossible without a level of commitment. It kind of goes with the territory. It's also true of friendships. In fact, any relationship, all of your re- relationships will be limited if you're not able to commit to them to some degree. You see, what I want to suggest is that whilst we think by not committing to anything, we're leaving our options open, what we're actually doing is limiting our options because there's just loads of things that are just not on the table anymore. I can't do that thing because that thing would require commitment. And so if commitment is a good thing, the problem we're left with is, what do I commit to? Like, okay, great, commitment's a good thing. 
but there's so many things I could commit to. And there's, there's so many things that are out there that are clamoring for your attention. That are like, commit to me. I felt it a bit when I was at the table tennis club. They're lovely people, great people. But as I was there, they were like, oh, does this slot generally work for you? And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I've just been like schooled for an hour and a half. I'm not sure I'm ready to commit like to, to, to like coming all the time. But like, there's so many things like that that are just like clamoring like, do you want to be a part of this? Do you want to get involved? Do you want to commit? And if we're not careful, we can, we can quickly overcommit and feel kind of burned out by it. Or, or we can overcommit and start letting people down. Because actually we've committed beyond our, our ability. You see, the question you're going to have to answer is what are, what are those things for you in your life that you're going to commit to? You can't commit to everything. Like, what is it that you're going to commit to? What are those things that you're saying? This is important to me, and I'm going to pour myself into that. So why as a church have we said we think local churches are something we want to be committed to? That's something we want to commit ourselves to. If you're part of Grace Church, within Grace Church, as a church, corporately, we want to commit ourselves to local churches. Why is that? And what do we mean by it? Well, we have to start by understanding what's going on in verses 12 and 13 of the passage in front of you. If you just um, cast your eyes down on it, you'll see it. In verses 12 and 13 of 2 Corinthians 2, we have Paul describing his trips around um, Troas and Macedonia. And it's just kind of passing uh, comments on what was going on. You know, he's saying, I went to Troas, didn't hang around there because I was looking for Titus, he wasn't there, so I moved on to Macedonia. And you think, great, there's not much in that. But actually, it's only as you suddenly take a step back and think, well, what was Paul doing in Troas and Macedonia that you start to get an idea of how important local churches were to Paul? You, you can read about this, actually, in um, the book of Acts, in chapter 16. You can read about Paul first going to Troas and into Macedonia. And it goes a bit like this. He, he goes to Troas, and he's preaching the gospel there, and we're told that the churches are being strengthened and built up. We're told that in, um, I think it's verse 5 of chapter 16. The church is being built up. So what's Paul doing in Troas? He's, he's preaching the gospel and he's building up the churches. And then, and then he gets this vision where God calls him to go to Macedonia to preach the gospel there. So he goes over to Macedonia and he starts preaching the gospel in Macedonia. And he goes to the capital of Macedonia, a place called Philippi. And there he meets someone called Lydia. Now Lydia seems to be a wealthy woman. And she's someone who is, um, who we're told kind of uh, has a relationship with God. And so Paul preaches to her, tells her the good news of Jesus, and she responds to that, and she's baptised and all her family are baptised. And what grows out of that is a little church that meets in her house. You can read about it in chapter 16. By the end of it, Paul kind of comes out of jail and he goes to the house, and all the Christians are gathering in Lydia's house. So there's this little church that's grown up out of Paul being in, in Philippi. This little group of Christians that are now meeting in Lydia's house. So, so why does Paul why does Paul have any relationship with Troas and um, Macedonia? Well, because he was going to those places to build up the churches and to settle new churches. That's what Paul was doing. And actually, I think what he's talking about here is not the first time he goes, but he goes again in chapter 20 of Acts. Uh, he goes back to Philippi, and, uh, and he's there for a bit. Uh, and then he goes from there to Troas. And he's meeting with the church there, encouraging the churches. 
In fact, you read a story in Troas um, about, uh, it's one of those great stories in the New Testament, where um, Paul is preaching, and, and it says, I love the phrase, it says, and Paul was, was like going on and on. It's like literally what it says, it's just like going on and on. Like if you think I go on a bit, like, well, I'm in good company because the Apostle Paul apparently did it as well. Paul was going on and on. And someone in the congregation falls asleep and falls out the window. Um, like that's the story that happens in Troas. Like what's Paul doing in Troas? He's preaching the gospel. He's going on and on about it. He's going to the churches and he's preaching good news about Jesus to build up the churches. You see, behind verses 12 and 13 is the story of Paul going from town to town to town all around the Mediterranean to set up churches and to encourage churches and to build up churches. You struggle to find anybody in the New Testament who's more committed to local churches than Paul. Paul was not some kind of like lone warrior who's like, I just want to go out and do my thing, you know, have big, have big events, people come to me and listen to me speak, people respond and then they go about their lives. Paul was about, I want to go to these places, I want people to respond to the gospel and then I want them to form local churches. That's what, that's what Paul was all about. Everywhere he went, he was longing for there to be local churches set up. There were so many churches that Paul that exists because Paul went there and he spoke the gospel there. And then he spends his life going round those churches, encouraging them. And then when he's not there, he spends his time writing to them. Like we see here in 2 Corinthians, he's writing to the church in Corinth. Or the church that was set up when he spoke to Lydia, he writes the letter to the Philippians to them. You see, the first thing we need to understand is that Paul had an incredible commitment to local churches. And that's one of the reasons why we have, as a heart, we want to have that commitment to local churches. Because ever since Jesus was on earth, what Christians have done is set up local expressions of that called churches. Paul is someone who poured out his life to establish local churches in towns and cities which didn't have one, and to support local churches in places which did have one. And I guess the question is, why? You know, I said at the start, there's so many things that you could commit your time, your energies, your resources, your life to. You could commit them to a certain career, a certain hobby, a certain set of relationships. There's so many things that you could go, this is what I'm going to commit myself to. Why was it that Paul committed his to local churches? What made him willing to pour his life out like that? When he explains it in verses 14 to 17, if you... If you have it in front of you, you can, you can see it. You see, the, the reason that Paul was so committed to this was because of what he had experienced Jesus doing for him. That's what motivated him. There's a, there's a fascinating image here, verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphant procession. I was, I was reading this, and as I was thinking about it, I was like, man, I find that, that a weird picture. Like that is a weird picture of why Paul like does what he does. Because you've got this kind of uh, this picture of, of like Paul as a captive. You know, the picture here is of the general who returns from army and has these the captives behind him. And you think that's not a very positive image. Like, if you want to give people a positive view of church, don't paint it like a prison. Like that doesn't seem the sensible place to go with this. But but actually. As I was kind of reading about this and thinking about it and trying to get my head around what is it that Paul's envisaging here, it's actually a different picture, I think. That the picture is 
of the kind of Roman general. So that is the picture he's captivating here, the Roman general who returns from war victorious. And you imagine the scenes. He kind of, uh, it's like, I don't know, the, like the scenes you kind of see at the end of World War II or something like that. Those great scenes of celebration. That's what it would have been. The Roman general walking down the street with people celebrating the great victory either side of him. That's the, that's the picture in his mind. But, but the captives are not reluctant slaves in the picture that Paul is painting here. You see, the picture that Paul is painting here is one where he was the enemy, he was the enemy soldier who was fighting against this great general, but what he found out when the general won was that he was on the wrong side. Actually, wars are full of those stories. People who fight against someone only to find out that the person they were fighting about hadn't come to enslave them, but had actually come to liberate them. You see, the picture is of, of the soldier who finds that the enemy general was not sent to enslave him, but to liberate him. Christ is the triumphant warrior who liberates the very people he's, fi- he's fighting against. It's always the picture you have of, of Jesus, as you read about him in the New Testament. You see, he fights to free the very people who are fighting against him. And so these captives are not reluctant people who are being kind of, who are chained behind them. The, the picture is of captives who have been, who've been freed and are now following that general, captivated by the vision of all that he's done for them. You see, you see the general knows that the enemies are enslaved by a tyrant who has robbed them of their freedoms and all of their dignity. And so now as newly liberated people, they are held captive by the beauty of their saviour. The picture here is of those who were once enemies of Christ, but are now part of the great celebration of his victory. Which they now see was not over them, so much as for them. See, that's the picture that Paul's trying to paint here. You need to move away from a view of Okay, the captives are people in chains behind the general, so the captives are people who have been freed and now are joining in the celebration uh, of the procession. Now, now I, I just wanted to make that clear because it kind of threw me for a long time trying to work out how, what's in Paul's mind at this point. But it's also really important because it, it kind of speaks to why we are to be committed to local churches. We're committed to local church because we have experienced God's goodness. We have tasted Christ's victory. We have experienced the freedom of knowing that our sins are forgiven, that our future is secure, that we are finally free to be transformed into the people God created to be. Because we've experienced that, because we've tasted that, now we want to join in that celebration of it. We're committed to local church because local church is the triumphal procession. That's what it is. It's a place where those who've been rescued by this great general, by Christ's great victory on the cross, it's the place where they come together to celebrate that victory. Now, this is important because if you don't know that truth, if you've never experienced that, if you're here today uh, and you're like, "Mm, I don't, I haven't, that's not my story. I can't tell the story of when Jesus has broken into my life and freed me. I can't tell the story of the moment when I've turned from an enemy of Jesus to someone who's now captivated by his beauty. If you can't tell that story, 
If you haven't experienced that for yourself, then I'm like, I'm thrilled you're here. Like, you're very welcome. We're glad that you're here. But I want you to know there's no reason for you to commit to a local church. Absolutely no reason for you to. Like, by all means, come along. You're very welcome. Come, in, come to what you want. Don't come to what you don't want. There are no, there's no requirement for you to commit. Just explore, investigate, get to know us, chat about where you are. We're not asking for anything. We're just glad that you're here. Because if you're going to be committed to local church, the first step is always tasting Christ's victory. And then fixing your eyes on him as you join in that triumphal procession. Now, that's the first reason that Paul is so committed to local churches, because he has experienced what it looks like to be an enemy fighting against Jesus, to find Jesus entirely defeat him, and then be captivated by him so that he follows and joins in that procession. Paul knows that story. That's his story. And he knows that, and so now he wants to be committed into local churches. The second reason he's so committed is because he sees them as, to take that kind of uh, slightly odd phrase, he sees them as the way of spreading the aroma of the knowledge of God. There's kind of too many words in that phrase, but that's, that's what you get at the end of verse 14. Spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. You see, Paul is committed to local churches because he thinks that local churches are how God makes himself known. And he uses that picture of an aroma. It's like a smell that permeates everywhere, kind of slowly seeps out all around it. And he's carrying on that picture of the procession. The reason he uses that language is because in those processions you would have had incense being burnt and there would have been that, those kind of smells that would have accompanied it. But that's why Paul was committed to local church. That's why we're committed to local church, because we believe that it's through local churches knowledge of God comes. And we want people to know God. We want people to know God. If you don't know him here today, then we want you to know him. Like that's, our, that's our prayer for you, that's our hope for you. Like we're glad you're here, but, but we want you to know God, that's why we do what we do. You see, we believe that knowing God is at the heart of what it means to be human. We believe it's at the heart of what we were created to do, who we were created to be. We believe that knowing God will lead you to worship him as he deserves. We believe it will lead you to know um, your dignity and worth as both the image of God and also a child of God. We believe that knowing God will lead you to find the forgiveness that you long for. The love that you were created to enjoy. We believe that it will help you to find the power to begin to become the person that you were created to be. We want you to know God. But that's what we're about. And if you if you're someone here would say well who would say yeah I do know God and I've 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 come to know Jesus and I've experienced His great victory on my heart, on my behalf when I was an enemy to Him, then we want you to know God better. And that's that's our goal for you. I, I, we're all about knowing God. We want you to not just know information about him, but to experience him. To experience him speaking to you through his word. To experience the joy of worship as you gather with other Christians to sing to him. 
to talk to him, to serve him, to enjoy the blessing of being part of his family, to experience the growth and joys which come from new relationships, to know the height and the width and the depth of the love of Christ as experienced in a local church. Six years ago, um, Grace Church was created, Grace Church Hartlepool came, came into being. There were 12 adults, 8 kids in a school hall. We met together. We've been talking about it for a little while. Thrilled to be able to, to get together. And before we kind of kicked it off, we said, well, what do we want to be about as a church? And we did a lot of thinking, and we came up with these seven values that we've talked about, we're starting to talk about here. So saturated by the gospel last week, committed to local churches this week. Um, I can't remember what it is next week, but maybe rooted in the word. Um, but we came up with those, those seven values. But one of the things we said is, we said, well, what is it? What's at the heart of what we're doing? Like, what do we want Grace Church to be about? And you'll see it on one of these posters, this one here. And we came up with that, with that phrase as being like, that's primarily what we're about as a church, sharing the good news of Jesus. Just a different way of us saying, we want people to know God. Unashamedly, that's what we're about as a church. We're not trying to hide that away. We're not trying to pretend we're about something else and just sneak a bit of Jesus in. Like, that's not what we're about. Unashamedly, we exist to share the good news of Jesus. Because we have experienced his great victory on our behalf and the freedom and life that comes through that. And we want others to experience that. And we want those who have experienced some of that to experience more of it. That's what we want as a church. Now, I want to just throw out there a warning here. I just want to throw out the warning. There are lots of churches that don't want that. There are lots of places that would call themselves churches and their heart and their passion is not about you knowing God or sharing good news about Jesus. They're, they're motivated by something else. Paul talks about it here. He talks about people who are motivated by profit. There's plenty of churches out there that just want your money. There's plenty of churches out there that are motivated not by sharing good news about Jesus, but by status and power. They just want to grow their empire. They want more people in the room. They want to feel more important. There's plenty of churches out there that are motivated by fame and status, not by sharing good news about Jesus. And I just want to say right here now, so you've all heard me say it, don't commit to those. Okay, don't put yourself into those. Don't pour yourself into those. Those places exist because people commit to them. And they pump their money into them. And they pump their resources into them. And they make these huge establishments. And they've existed ever since Christianity first came into being because Paul is constantly talking about them. Commit to a church that wants you to know God better. Like, commit to that church. This isn't a call to commit to Grace Church and no other church. There's plenty of churches out there that, have, that are wanting to share good news about Jesus, that are wanting to help people come to know God. But there's also plenty of churches that aren't. So be careful what you commit to. Don't waste your money, don't waste your time, don't waste your life. Our family, um, we, the, about around this time of year, one of the things that we like to do is we like to watch the Bake Off together. Like it's one of those kind of traditions that we, we do each year. We've watched the Bake Off for, for many, many years. I was late to, to this. You know, my wife and children were into it. Well, my wife was into it before I was, and then I was, and then my kids have, have joined afterwards. And I'm always amazed at, like, how entertaining watching people 
put ingredients together and then hide them away in drawers and then take them out and then other people eat them can be. But apparently it can be and it's remarkably entertaining and it's made all the better this year for those of you who aren't watching it because they've got um, a 19-year-old vegan woman in it called Freya who's from Scarborough and like gloriously northern. Just like fantastically northern. Um, and uh, every time she speaks, she's just hilarious and fantastic. Uh, and, and she's so great. And I hope she wins it, but I think it's unlikely. Um, but this, this last week was dessert week. And they were making um, pavlovas, sticky toffee puddings, and then some sort of cake thing. And it'd be fair to say that Freya had a bit of a nightmare this last week. It turns out that making those things without cream and butter and eggs and all the things that make them delicious. It is considerably harder than making them with her. Uh, and so she, she had a bit of a nightmare. And so she, she, she cooked it all up and she did like a rubbish pavlova, um, a pretty rubbish stick coffee pudding. And then she got to a showstopper and she created this thing and she put it in front of the judges. And uh, Prue and Paul Hollywood, they, they have a little bit of it and they say, I've tasted good vegan cake in the past. And this isn't one of them. Um, uh, and, and so they're kind of not letting off the hook on the basis that it's vegan. They're just like, this isn't one of them. And so anyway, they, they, uh, they interview Freya afterwards. And what I love about Freya is because she's like 19 and a student in Northern, she's got like limitless confidence. And she just, says, she just says, like, I'm not saying I don't agree with them, but I kind of just don't agree with them. <laughs> and um, that, was her, like, that was her summary of what she thought of Prue and uh, Paul Hollywood's uh, verdict on her cake. Now, now, the reason I, I raise that is because, like, what's going on there? Like, they all ate the same cake. They, they all, they, the same ingredients were prepared in the same way, and, they, and Prue ate them, and Paul Hollywood ate them, and Freya ate them, and Freya's like, I thought it was delicious. And those other guys are like, mm, that was rubbish. Like, what's going on there? Now, there's obviously a bit of, you know, favouritism because it was her own cake. But, but part of the answer is, people taste things differently. <laughs> like, what one person likes isn't the same as what another person likes. People have different taste buds that, that respond to different tastes in a different way. And that's true of so many things in life. People experience the same things differently. Now Paul says that's how it is with knowledge of God. He says to some people, hearing about God, experiencing Christ's victory, it, it's like, it smells like life to them. That's how, what they experience it through. They experience life, freedom, liberty. They get captivated by that vision, so they join the triumphant procession. That's what some people experience. But he said to some others, they experience it as death. Now why is it? Why is it that the same good news about Jesus is experienced by some people as life and some people as death. Put it simply as a can, because people have got different taste buds. You see, when it comes to this, we've got, we've got different ways that we'll experience it and we'll process it. And a lot of it will depend on what it is you want, what it is that you're committed to. You see, if you're committed to the old general, the one that you were fighting for against Christ, then this will feel like defeat. It won't feel like victory. Put more specifically, if you want autonomy, if the thing you're committed to is autonomy, I want self-rule, then this will feel like death. 
You see, Christ's victory feels like death as you submit to his loving rule. Because what you want is autonomy. If you want to cling on to the sin in your life, if you're like, I don't want to give up those things that I do, then Christ's victory will feel inhibiting. If you want pride, then Christ's victory on your behalf when you are helpless will, will feel humiliating to you. If you want impunity, if you want never to be held responsible for anything that you do, Christ's victory feels threatening to you. It says that someone cares about what you did. Someone noticed. If they're the things you want, then Christ's victory will be experienced by you like death. It just kills my autonomy. It kills my pride. It kills my sin. It kills the, kills the things that I'm committed to. But if you want something different, if you want forgiveness, Christ's victory feels freeing. If you want to know God, Christ's victory makes that possible. If you want the power to change, Christ's victory feels liberating. If you want to be part of a new family, Christ's victory feels full of possibilities. If you want resurrection, Christ's victory feels like life. If you're sceptical about your own ability to rule your life and willing to submit to Christ's loving wisdom, then Christ's victory feels freeing. Now, now, as I say those two things, you might think, well, you've painted it in such a way that it just sounds stupid that you'd ever not want that. You just made it sound like, well, of course you'd want, you know, you'd want to experience it like life. You make, you've made rejecting it sound idiotic. But I just want to say I'm not meaning to because I understand my own desire to go my own way well enough. We mustn't underestimate how much we all feel the pull of autonomy. I feel that pull. I feel that desire to self-rule, to not let anybody else speak into that. I know the temptation of sin. I feel it every day. I know the power of my ego. I know my desire not to be held accountable for anything that I do. The same message is experienced as life by some and death by others. And in fact, if we're honest, it's experienced as life and death, not just by different people, but within the same person. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this up. Why commit to a local church? Why do we have it as one of our values? Well, we have it as one of our values because we believe God loves local churches. We believe that Christians, ever since the time Jesus of Jesus, have been committed to local churches. We believe that local churches are the places where we come together to celebrate Christ's victory. We believe that local churches are the means by which we spread the aroma of the knowledge of God. That's why we're committed to local churches. And so what does that mean for you here today? Well, I can't answer that to a degree. You're going to have to answer that. Like, what does it mean for you? It means... It means that we need to we need to decide whether we're going to get plugged into a local church. Not to simply consume, not to dip in and out, not to work out our but to instead work out our identity as children of God in a local church. Not by ourselves. Not say I'm gonna I'm gonna find, I'm gonna work out my Christian life by myself. Am I going to do that? Am I going to say this is how I'm going to try to do it? Or am I going to follow the pattern that you see 
in Paul's life throughout New Testament, throughout Christian, throughout Simon, saying, I'm going to work out my identity as a child of God in a local church. For us as a church, that's what it might mean for you as individuals, for us as a church, it means we are going to be committed to local churches. And by that we mean we want to support other local churches. We're a local expression of church here in Hartlepool, but we want to support any other expressions of local church in Hartlepool. Any other church in Hartlepool that wants to share good news about Jesus and is committed to do that, we want to support those guys. Hartlepool is a town of 92,000 people. We, we, don't, we don't just want Grace Church Hartlepool. We don't just want Grace Church Hartlepool and a few other churches. We want many churches here in Hartlepool sharing good news about Jesus. And we are going to long for more of those. We're going to pray for more of those. And when they come around, we're going to support those guys. It also means we want to support local churches in other places, like Matt Oliver over down in Stockton at Hardwick Baptist, like the Donalds over in Dubai. Like because we're committed to local church, we want local church here in Hartlepool, but we also want local churches everywhere. And the final thing it means for us as a church is that we want to be involved in planting churches. One of the things that we've always said since the start of Grace Church is we, we want to be a church, a church plant that plants churches. That's where we want to go. So we set up Grace Church, a small church here in Hartlepool. We'd love to be involved in setting up other small churches in other places. And that's something that we're going to be working towards over the next three to five years. Michael was talking a bit about it yesterday. We're going to be working towards that. Going, what does it look like for there to be more local expressions of God's victory in places specifically around the northeast of England? What we want to be about. Let me pray for us and we'll uh, sing as we sing.